And hello, everybody. Welcome to Narrative on a Friday night. It's the after show. We are so happy to be here tonight because it's been a good week. At the end of it all, it turned out to be a good week. I'd say at the beginning, David, it was a touch and go for a little bit of time there. I thought we were not having a great start to the week, but it seems like things have improved as we've headed into the end of it. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you from Ohio, we had a major league victory that I hope becomes somewhat of a precedent about there are ways through a whole lot of effort that you can fight back for democracy. And we saw in the last three days, the state house maps, the state Senate maps, and the congressional maps all had been rigged by rigged state house. All were struck down with just brutal directness in the opinions by the Ohio Supreme Court. We can talk a little later about how this came to be, but one of the themes that we talked about when I appeared on your show last, you got to always fight for democracy, not just at the federal level, but at the state level where so much of it is shaped. And one thing amid some tough times in Ohio, Ohioans really focused on fixing the gerrymandering language in the Constitution and electing a Supreme Court that would respect that language. And this week was an enormous week in Ohio where we started to feel like we may get our democracy back over time. You know, I thought I saw that and I thought, what a big story it was this week. And by the way, just everyone knows who you are. David Pepper is the author of Laboratory of Autocracy, a wake up call from behind the lines. He was here on the show just a few weeks ago, maybe maybe just two weeks ago. And uh, we had such a good time. Then so interesting to hear his point of view that we've asked him back to be here on the after show. Rachel Bitterkofer will be back with us in just a minute, hopefully. But I just got to concur with you. That was a very significant win. I mean, it's not just any state, right? It's Ohio. When you start right. messing with Ohio, then it's um, things could look very different by the time you get there. And if there are other states, and it appears there might be other states who are following suit, then you've got a real change of the landscape come the, the November. Yeah, the other thing you have here, and this is why it's so important, and I know we're all frustrated it hasn't happened yet, this federal legislation on the Freedom to Vote Act, it has the same kind of language that we added to our Constitution that created ground rules about how you do districts. Like, you can't be unduly partisan. It has to reflect the voters to some degree. Mm-hmm. And that language for a century, uh, courts have said, oh, there's not enough standards, there are not enough standards. They said that in Ohio. Well, we added the standards through a constitutional amendment, and the court today said, okay, we see the standards. You goofballs at the state house, you violate them. You didn't even try and follow them. Your map is struck down. If the federal legislation that's before the Senate were to pass, that could be done in federal courts all over the country. So it's great for Ohio. Hmm. There are other models, too. Of course, I love the Michigan model where it's a commission and the politicians aren't even in the room. Not everyone can do that. But at the very least, real standards that a court can look at and compare a map to standards. And so in today's opinion, for example, an expert came forward and said, we did 5,000 simulations of the criteria in the Constitution in this rigged GOP map was worse than all 5,000. It was oh, an wow. outlier. <laughs> and there's no way to explain. And these guys were trying to pretend, oh, we followed the rules. We did everything right. Yeah. This expert said, and the court cited it, there were 5,000 simulations following the rules. This wasn't anywhere near them. They said the chances of this being done without pure partisan discrimination are zero. And so that's what you can do if you add standards into the rules. And by the way, the court discovered and the lawyers found through discovery, these rigged, cheating GOP statehouse leaders were caught having two sets of books, Okay. One set of maps they would present publicly that said how competitive and great they were. Well, then another set that they were sharing internally was basically saying 
look how good these are. We're never going to lose these seats. <laughs> and it's through discovery because we sued. I didn't sue it, but because people sued them, we found out that they were literally fooling the public and running around privately assuring Congress people, don't worry, we got you taken care of. So it really put a light on how lawless these people are and how publicly willing they are to lie about the work they're doing. Oh, if there's one thing that we know, it's that uh, the GOP is now the party of lies. I mean, they just don't tell absolutely. the truth on absolutely anything. What happens to those uh, districts? Do they get reconfigured into something new or do they go back to a previous? Well, so here's the bad news, okay? So basically, the we said this the other day, the state house people doing this, the only world they've ever known is rigged districts. Right. They don't know democracy. So they're not going to all of a sudden get religion and try and add real democracy. Right. This will be a fight, okay? They'll do see what they can get away with, and then this court is going to have to stand strong and say to them, no maps, no election, until you file the law. So if they have 10 days to fix the state house maps, 30 days to fix the congressional maps, they're going to try and get away with because that's all they know. And then the court has retained jurisdiction, so the court as a traffic cop will say whether or not they actually try to fix it. They're going to have to have some pretty nasty conversations if they're following the law that tell, like in Cincinnati where I live, the congressman here, if it was a fair district, his career would be over and everyone knows it. They split Hamilton County into three different districts to protect hmm. him. And the court basically said, total constitutional violation. You are dividing up this community Again, not one of those 5,000 models split it three ways, okay? Only because of partisan reasons. Everyone knows that if Hamilton County is not split, he's going to lose. So these people are going to have to make some decisions about whether to tell someone who's been living in a rigged district for a decade that his time is up. The question will be, will they tell him that? Or will the court have to strike down another attempt to save people like this from actually facing real voters? So it should be interesting. And I'm running out uh, of time, though. Isn't, isn't time yeah, taking away here? But it is. The filing deadline is February 10th. The mm. primary is in May. But here's the truth. It's the Constitution. The primary date is set by statute. So if you're the court and you run up against a deadline, you say to the state house members, sorry, guys, you're out of uh, you know, compliance with the Constitution. Move your primary back. Pass a law tomorrow. Do it. So they could order that if it got to that deadline. And my guess is it may very well get there. But this is a group of people who literally for 10 years have never felt accountable to anybody. And right now, I, my guess is their blood is boiling because this is the first time they can remember having to you know, actually answer to somebody. And the reason I say that is, and I can walk through it a little later, it's because mm. we flipped the court right. over the last two years. This was Where? a 7-0 Republican court ah. two and a half years ago. And we went nuts and focused on it. In the last two years, we won three out of four seats. Well, that's good. Up. And the chief justice is a moderate Republican, but a long respected Republican who voted against the last gerrymander. So these people came face to face with an actual independent court. They don't know what to do with themselves. Is there actually going to be an opportunity for the Democrats to win in Ohio on a state level? Uh, that's still tough, to be honest. Yeah, like, okay. I mean, we can do it. Sherrod Brown did it a couple of years ago. It can be done. Mm. But we really out-hustled them on these court races while they were running around celebrating Trump. We were really focused because, you know, I put it in my book. We talked about it. Yeah. yeah. And everyone needs to do this. Focus on all the elected positions that impact democracy. Right. In states, that includes elected Supreme Court positions because they're a check and balance on these crazy legislatures. While the chair of the Republican Party was running around at Trump rallies, and we pretty much knew Trump was going to win Ohio, 
we were focused like a laser on getting another justice elected in the hopes that we'd have a fair court here at the case that was ruled on this week. So we worked very hard over a couple of years to get a court that would be fair. I'm not saying it's a Democratic court. It's not. It's actually majority Republican, mm. but it's a fair court. And they just, did their job. I love that you focus on the long game. I think it's so important. And I think it's the biggest lesson that we're learning from your book and, and everything you're saying here is to focus on the long game. This is not a quick fix. It's going to take a while to completely right. fix democracy. You know, while we get Rachel together here, I do want to talk a little bit with Glenn Kirshner, who I spoke to a little bit earlier on, the former federal prosecutor, about the Oath Keepers indictment that came down yesterday, which, of course, included the term seditious conspiracy. Here's Glenn's take on that. Joining me now is former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner, who's also the host of the Justice Matters podcast and that great YouTube show, also of the same name. How are you, Glenn? Good to see you again. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Zeb. Great to see you. A lot has changed in just this last week. I think the tone and tenor of the administration's approach to the January 6th investigation has changed a lot. It seems like they're more combatant, and it looks like we've seen you know, Biden and then Garland in their two speeches uh, really change things. But then yesterday came this word seditious, which changed all our lives. I think we all suddenly perked up and thought, well, this could be an indication of something a lot more serious coming down the pike. What's your take on why that word is so important? So, I mean, it's a big ticket criminal charge. Rarely does the federal government bring seditious conspiracy cases. I think there have only been about half a dozen dating back to the 1930s. Sometimes they're prosecuted successfully. Sometimes they're not. But, you know, I like to think that the reason the Department of Justice brings those kind of cases so infrequently is because it's not every day groups, organizations are getting together to try to violently overthrow the government. So it's probably a good thing that we don't have that many cases brought. So it was important to see the Department of Justice upping the criminal ante. Here's my only concern. I do not want to rain on the seditious conspiracy parade. But what we did, what the Department of Justice did was they expanded the criminal charges for the lowest level of the criminal ladder, right? The foot soldiers of Donald Trump's insurrection. What I hope they are now doing or intending to do next is work their way up to the command structure, the hierarchy of the insurrection. Because here's the thing, you know, if you don't take out the hierarchy, if you don't hold everyone from Donald Trump on down accountable, then all they're going to do is go about recruiting a new batch of foot soldiers and give it another go. So I'm thrilled that they're upping the criminal ante as far as the small criminal fish go. Now let's work our way up the criminal ladder to the lieutenants, the captains, the majors, the colonels, the generals, and ultimately the commander in chief. You know, we know that the Oath Keepers were with Roger Stone on the morning of January the 6th. We've seen the video. They were with him on January the 5th. They were also in a closed signal group with uh, Stuart Rhodes since December 30th. One would think they were talking about what was going on on January the 6th in that closed signal group. And then that word would have gotten to Roger Stone. I mean, it just seems bizarre if Roger Stone had not heard what the Oath Keepers were involved in. Don't you think? I agree. And the other thing is when you compare the things Steve Bannon was saying in the mm. run up to January 6th and you read this 48 page indictment, boy, they echo one another. Bannon said right. it's going to be swift. It's going to be moving. It's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. Hold on tight. It's coming. And then we see what it seems Steve Bannon was referring mm. to. So I don't think there have been any connections that have been revealed between the Oath Keepers and Bannon directly. But Boy, it made me think that Bannon better keep an eye out for a possible superseding indictment. Here's the other thing, Zeb, not to get down into the 
you know, mm -hmm. procedural weeds of how we go about bringing superseding indictments at the Department of Justice. But when I heard the prosecutors at the court hearing in Bannon's case say, you know what, Judge, we can try this case in less than one trial day. However, we're asking for a trial date four or five months down the road. Mm -hmm. The first thing I heard as an old prosecutor is get ready for the superseding ah. indictments against Steve Bannon, because there's no way, Zev, take it from a former federal prosecutor, mm. there's no way we would go to trial in a standalone one-count case, even though technically Bannon's uh, has two charges, they're both contempt of Congress. It's virtually a one-count case. We don't go to trial in a case like that unless we absolutely have to. We add as many charges as we can so we can give the jury right. the power of context. So right. more, I suspect, is coming for Steve Bannon. You know, it's interesting with uh, Bannon, you mentioned that there's no connection there necessarily with, with the militia people, but there is, you know, the First Amendment Praetorians were shepherding Sidney Powell to the White House for that big meeting they had in December, where they actually discussed uh, how they were going to try to do the January the 6th, uh, stop the steal. So at least the First Amendment Praetorians were the drivers and security for some of the people involved. And some of the First Amendment Praetorians are Oath Keepers. Yeah, so it, it may all come together. The biggest question in my mind now is, will the Department of Justice attempt to bring one overarching conspiracy against everybody? Right. Because you do seem to have different factions. You've got the War Council enjoying the cushy environs of the Willard Hotel, <laughs> plotting the demise of democracy, yeah. Bannon and Giuliani and some of the others. Eastern. You've got the sedition, the, the treasonous lawyers who are drafting mm. letters and memos like Jeff Clark and John Eastman. Mm. You've got the insiders like Mo Brooks and again, Rudy Giuliani and Don mm. Jr. And I'll tell you, when I handled big conspiracy cases and RICO cases in the courts of Washington, D.C., the defense was forever attacking our case by saying, no, 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 no. Even if there was any conspiratorial conduct, it wasn't one conspiracy. It was a series of different unrelated conspiracies. Therefore, they would attack our indictment as being defective because we would try to bring one overarching mm. conspiracy because that way we can give the jury the power of context. Right, I would right. like to see the Department of Justice try to tackle this as one large conspiracy, maybe a 371 conspiracy to commit offenses against the United States, pull it all in under one criminal umbrella and then let the defense challenges come that it's not properly joined together in one indictment. That's the way I would go at this. That's a really good, good, good call. What we think is, you know, they've called it the biggest investigation in the Department of Justice history. It obviously all connects. I mean, those of us who've looked at this very carefully in the last year, it obviously connects. And it'll be interesting to see if they can pull that off. I was struck by one thing in the Rhodes indictment where he refers to being in touch with an author from a video in Serbia where they were giving instructions on how to copy the Serbian model of attacking their government there. I was struck by that because Russia was in that game and Serbia is right in the backyard of, of Russia. So that is an interesting conflict that, you know, you only really think about if you were Russian almost. Do you think there's any possibility that uh, we'll find out at some point there was some Russian influence on the side of Stuart Rhodes? How is there not the possibility mm. that the Russians have their tentacles into everything that they think will undermine American democracy, mm. right. right? Donald Trump did it overtly 
but would it surprise us if the Oath Keepers and these other white supremacist hate groups were doing it, you know, covertly? No, of course not. Right. And the amount of money, the basic training, the reconnaissance, the planning the, of the unconventional warfare, all these night goggles, these night visions, I mean, they were planning for something really big. And it's obviously cost a fortune. Where's this money coming from? Let's hope we find out yeah. where the funding is coming from. And I'll tell you, the other thing that sort of disturbed me, mm. perhaps more than what the Oath Keepers did as detailed in that indictment, you know, they disclosed in the indictment that they had this arsenal basically across the river in a motel in Virginia. Force, yeah. You know, what I would ordinarily expect to see is that the FBI and other U.S. law enforcement agencies would have been so far ahead of the game that they would have been prepared with search warrants to take that down in right. real time. I'd like to know how it is so many of these Oath Keepers got away with this and now if the FBI apparently is only playing catch up. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You're 100% right. That's a good question. It'll be interesting to see if we ever get the answer to that. I want to talk about this other part of the conspiracy, which is now unfolding in Michigan and in other states, in Georgia, where there was these uh, you know, fraudulent slate of electors that would decided that they guess they were going to be the electors for their state, the fraudulent grounds. Now, that is also turning out to be a potential conspiracy because they all seem to coordinate with each other. They all seem to have the same format or form for the letter. Yeah, it feels like what we call a hub and spoke conspiracy. It's a lesser used form of conspiracy. You know, usually we have like a pyramid, a hierarchy, the foot soldiers, the lieutenants, the consigliaries, the boss. Um, but a hub and spoke conspiracy is you've got the hub and then you have a bunch of spokes that kind of radiate out from the hub and they are not necessarily connected to one another, but they're all connected to the hub. Mm -hmm. Who is the hub? Donald Trump and his close, you know, criminal associates. And mm -hmm. so that's why, you know, it may be a challenge to pull the false elector crimes into one overarching conspiracy, but I still think it perhaps can be done. Donald Trump, of course, is the big question. Will he get in any way indicted? He is, by all accounts, a cooperating witness or an informant. I don't know what the exact term would be for him. Does that get him off the hook? It shouldn't. You know, I dealt with lots of cooperating witnesses and I told each and every one, Zev, that if you go out there and you commit crime on my dime, if I put you in the community and you go out and you violate the trust I put in you as a cooperating witness, I promise you I will be your worst nightmare. I will drag you back in court. I will revoke your release so quick it'll make your head spin. And then I followed through on that promise when I did have my cooperators fall from grace. So mm. being a cooperator doesn't give you a lifetime free pass to commit crime. Oh, interesting. So, you know, the question is, will Donald Trump be indicted? First of all, how could he not be indicted? And I was really thrilled to see some of the recent developments in Georgia. There are three important mm. data points that tell me the first jurisdiction out of the gate to indict Donald Trump may very well be Georgia. Yeah. You had the district attorney, Fannie Willis, say, I intend to have a charging decision in the first half of 2022. Well, here we are in the first half of 2022. I take her at her word. The second thing is we learned in recent days that Donald Trump's defense team met with the Georgia prosecutors. Right. I had those meetings all the time. When did I have those meetings? On the day before I was going to walk into the grand jury for the last time during that investigation wow. and say, indict the target. First, I gave the defense attorneys an audience, not in violent crime cases, but in fraud and public corruption and white collar cases. And I would say to them, ladies and gentlemen, attorneys, 
give us whatever exculpatory evidence you have and let us know if we've got this wrong because the way we see it we have more than enough to indict your client what did we get two days after that meeting between donald trump's defense lawyers and the prosecutors an unhinged statement released by donald trump saying district attorneys just want to ruin lives right. by locking everybody up right. that's a tell zev it is we a tell that for sure meeting went poorly mm -hmm. those three data points taken together my betting limit is a dollar i'm not a high roller <laughs> i would place my bet on georgia being the first one out of the blocks with an indictment against trump i think you're right it's going to be georgia that comes out first of that terrific seeing you again glenn thank you so much for your time tonight do you want to tell people where they can find you on patreon yeah, they can find me on Patreon, which is where we kind of have our team justice gather. We do Zoom chats. We work democracy projects. So if you want to more formally support our all-volunteer efforts here at Justice Matters, you can go over to patreon.com and sign up to become a patron. On YouTube, Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner, a new video every day. I'm on Twitter all day and night answering people's legal questions. So, you know, put my name in the Googles, as they say, and, and you'll find me somewhere. <laughs> Terrific. Great to see you again, Glenn. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Thanks for having me, Zeph. Um, what did you think of his uh, rosy perspective there? Do you think he's, uh, you know, Glenn is great and he's always optimistic and I love that. Do you agree with him on the uh, optimism around Donald Trump and no, he, some of the inside team? I mean, he has experience I don't have in criminal law, so I don't want to go so far. But, you know, I, I thought that was a significant development as well. The framing of that case, the fact that they've got receipts. I joked on Twitter today that the Oath Keepers are now the receipt. So, I mean, if I were part of the broader conspiracy, and that's obviously what was going on, that I would be worried. And, you know, the other thing I keep thinking about, at some point you would think the people who did storm the Capitol, who have been arrested, who've been in jail, you'd think that all of them would want this to happen as well. I mean, I know there are a lot of people who kind of just fall for Trump and are willing to sacrifice everything for him, but you'd think that hundreds of these people would say, we did this because these people organized us to do it. And at some point, you would think that they would actually want to see this happen. I think that's why some of them may be turning, because yeah. it's just not right that the people in charge are getting away with it. And even literally, imagine what these people thought when they were told that they were Antifa doing it, like the false flag. Like, wait, we did what you told us to do, and now you're disowning us so much that you're calling us the people you told us as our enemy? I mean, so you'd think or hope at some point enough of these people would realize they were taken. Yeah. Just like Trump has taken people's whole life, they I'm, were taken. Yeah. Many of their lives are, you know, much worse now. Mm -hmm. And you'd think some of them would say, that is just, I've got to do something about that. So I'm hoping that's the case. You know, I noticed talking to some of my sources in the more extreme right wing that there's a lot of worry now. I think that word seditious really changed the game for everybody. Yeah. Uh, it certainly made them fear that, you know, we may see a lot more, you know, big names coming down in the next few days. It certainly did not occur to me that uh, Stuart Rhodes would actually get uh, indicted at all. He wasn't even yeah. there. You know, yeah. so the fact that he's been indicted on a seditious conspiracy charge is significant. And it will be interesting yeah. to see who he can name and who the other cooperating yeah. witnesses are. That's As great. you point out, so I mean, many of them have. And if you look at the long arc of history, I mean, this is what you'd expect. If 100 years ago something like this happened, you would have expected this kind of prosecution. And mm -hmm. if a certain congressman or woman were involved, you'd expect them to no longer be in Congress. Right. So this right. is, it seems kind of crazy in the moment because it's dramatic. But as a big picture thing, of course, this is where it should go. I mean, you know, I don't want to act like I know all the evidence, but it's clear that this wasn't some, you know, random or, you know, a bunch of people decide to do this. 
They left all the receipts. You know, <laughs> Bobert is tweeting Pelosi's leaving the room. I mean, yeah. it's pretty obvious that this was all thought through. And of course, there needs to be maximum accountability, especially as you go up the line. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the hope is that like we get a little bit back from the politics and the good news versus and you know this better than I do. The January 6th committee is building momentum, mm-hmm. but we all obviously worry that time may run out. The good thing is the DOJ has more years to do this, and yeah. they've got a little bit more of a runway. You know, not a huge runway, but these guys are going to try and stonewall this January 6th committee. You know, McCarthy and yeah. Jordan. You know, I think the DOJ is a different matter. And but they're doing got so well. To make this case. They're doing quite well. I mean, the letters that they're issuing for each of these people they're subpoenaing are very telling. And so oh, they great. are owning the narrative on almost every day. There's I, a little I love bit dripping out. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I just worry about the time for right. the rest of the year. And I love the idea of primetime hearings. Love yes. it. Yes. They've got to reclaim this narrative. Yeah, but then it's also interesting that they'll be in the elections, or at least approaching the elections. They might not be done, but they'll still be going, and that could be a good thing, running into the elections, especially if they've got some primetime hearings. Rachel, I'm going to try you one last time. I hope we can hear you now. Are you there? I hope so, too. Yay! All right. (laughs) That took us a little bit of time, but it's a Friday. It happens. Um, I've heard anyway that, you know, less is more of me anyway. No, never. Did you hear what we were just talking about, about the change of, you know, the running up to the elections and then um, also whether the hearings and the continuing committee investigations, whether that could be helpful to Democrats? Yeah, I mean, got to be honest with you, if it wasn't for Liz Cheney and Adam Kissinger, I'd already be joining you in Toronto, dude, you know, because at least I know one thing in my great strategic plan, the one like cog that's going to roll no matter what. And that is that Liz Cheney and Adam are going to do the public relations work that you never see out of a Democratic committee. And they're going to be feeding that every day pumping that narrative bit by bit. We're going to have that shit in prime time. They're going to do it right, right? They're going to give us the best play we've ever had since the Watergate hearings to work with. But at the end of the day, it will all be for naught because, you know, it's not prime time in 1970. What does that mean? Why do you think it's going to be for naught? You don't think there's going to be enough attention? It's a necessary but not sufficient condition that we get it handled that way, that there be a public relations GOP Benghazi style fear mm. component, right? You, you know what I love I, about prime time study. though, is they can't do anything. Fox News has to carry it. They can't, well, no, they can't here, ignore here, it. They did not carry the last one. Oh, they they will not carry this. They, can't they will not. not carry it. You think no, they're, they're just not going say- to. And here's why. Oh, you guys just- have to understand, like people look at the Republicans, like the voters, mm. and they think, well, they just looked at all this shit and they're just like, ah, I'm going to like use my partisan blinders and my confirmation bias and these psych. And there are people like that. I mean, this Dan McLaughlin guy I'm always arguing at on Twitter because I, you know, it's not fully irredeemable, (laughs) you know, that he can look at shit and then use psychological tools to justify it. But by and large, the rank and file, what they're doing to appetite or like digest what they're doing is they're not looking. Okay, and then like what they do, if they look at all, and most of them don't, then they'll go to an influencer to give them the version they want to hear. Right. So like it's not like, you know, your dad who watches Fox News heard about what Trump did in Ukraine. He never heard that story ever. He's never heard about the coup stuff. He doesn't know any of these facts. 
And so like what we get from Liz Cheney and that committee and the DOJ investigation is one thing, what we make of it in terms of getting it and doing what the Mueller report never did, right? I just don't think they can keep it out of it. You know, I think the evidence is overwhelming and that this was such a huge event. And I know they'll keep saying that it wasn't a huge event, but I mean, clearly it was, you know, I don't recall another situation where American citizens were showing up at the Capitol with night vision goggles that cost $7,000 and a quick response force on the other side of the Potomac and a boat to carry them across. I mean, this was quite serious what they were planning. You know, this was not just a, a walk in the park. They were planning a real military offensive. In fact, carried out a real military offensive. Thank you for spending your time with Narrative and stay tuned. There's much more to this conversation in our next episode. Narrative is made possible by viewers and listeners like you who join at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Join today and support truly independent journalism. Patreon.com forward slash narrative.